You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazing with Bobby Black. What's up, Blackalites? This is Bobby Black, welcoming you to the special 710 edition of Blazin'. As most of you probably know, this Sunday was July 10th, or 710, known to some in the cannabis community as Dab Day, uh, a day when we celebrate all things related to cannabis concentrates, colloquially known as hashish or hash. There are several hash-related events taking place this month, uh, the most popular of which is probably the Chalice Festival hosted by Hitman Glass, which took place this weekend in San Bernardino, California. And of course, the reason that this day was chosen as a hash day is that when you turn the number 710 upside down, it reads as oil, which is, of course, cannabis oil is one of the several forms in which hash is enjoyed. Um, other types of hash include dry sieve, bubble, ice, and water hash, which are considered traditional methods and are solvent-free. Uh, the more modern solvent-extracted types uh, include BHO or butane hash oil but or butane honey oil, which is made using butane, obviously, uh, PHO, which is made using propane, and CO2. There's also specialty hashes, such as rosin, which is made using only heat and pressure, Rick Simpson oil, made with alcohol, holy oil, and live resin, which is a technique that was pioneered by today's guest, owner of Colorado-based extraction experts Emotech Lab and the inventor of the OBDUS extraction machines that have set the standard for quality and compliance in the industry. He's participated in many of the dab panels I've moderated at the High Times Cannabis Cups in the past and was one of the prestigious celebrity judges at this past week's Chalice Fest. Please join me in welcoming to the show the man, the myth, the mogul, known simply as Giddy Up. What's up, Giddy? 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm ready to blaze it. <laughs> what are you blazing on, my friend? Well, you know, actually, uh, I'm out in Cali right now for Chalice, like you said, and I had the wherewithal to stop by Hollywood and see Dr. Dina's shop. Yeah. You know, I'm a California medical patient as well, and I picked me up some OG Kush and some of Grandma's cookies just to keep me tidied over. Little in between judge break with some cannabis. Lovely, lovely. So, um, give us some background about yourself. How did you get involved in the cannabis industry? Well, I uh, moved to Colorado back in 2010 to uh, go legitimate, as many people were at the time. And I knew how to make hash a little bit. I was kind of a hobbyist. Uh, I spent the first year in Colorado uh, honing my arts, as it were. And during that time, I had the idea for the invention of the Obidose extraction machine. After that, uh, it was all downhill. I started making the extraction machines. We got them approved through the state and through the city and made it to where everybody else could use them. And we started piling out hash for the lovely people of Colorado. <laughs> so you, you started Emotech in 2012, right? 2012, it became an actual uh, an actual LLC. Um, I operated as a sole proprietorship uh, prior to that, but we got too big for our britches and uh, had to step it up, <laughs> get a legitimate bank account, start paying taxes, putting on the big boy shoes, as it were. So how did you go from someone who was uh, smoking hash and then maybe making hash as like kind of a hobby to saying, hey, I got this idea for this really big, expensive, complicated machine? <laughs> well, honestly, I saw a problem where nobody saw a problem. And I think that's how most inventions start, um, at least the ones that kind of come out of left field on us. Um, the way everybody was making uh, butane extracts uh, it violated multiple laws, um, even in our medical marijuana state, um, for like misuse of the solvent. Because um, you know, if you you know if you use a can of butane for anything other than the prescribed purposes on the packaging, it's actually a federal actually a federal offense. And I knew that there was no way, whether they were going to allow us to have cannabis or not, they were going to allow us to commit a federal offense every time we produced hash. Sure. So I made a I made a I made a way for us to to be coded and regulated and to safely make the exact same product um, and on a much larger scale. So it kind of worked out to everybody's benefit. Cool. Well, th you know, I know uh, when I was working in High Times, there were ads before you came along for some other uh, extractors that had been out there on the market. What differentiated your product from some of the other extractors that were on the market? Well, as far as I know, the only other extractor on the market at the time uh, was called Tamisium. And fortunately for me, I had not seen a Tamisium extractor before I started uh, making mine. Um, the main difference uh, is the fact that mine is an active closed-loop system. Uh, we use a pump to move around our vapors and move around our fluids. And uh, I guess secondly, the... Uh, when I when I did find out that there was another extractor, I was making mine. I believe that the only extractor that they had made was a uh, a small two ounce extractor. Huh. Where my my first uh, my first closed loop system was a five pound extractor. Um, besides that arrangement and uh, you know just simply the way that they function um, set, set mine out. Mine tends to be 
easier and more user friendly than the other uh, extractors on the market now or then. And you uh and you the the pump that you use and all the equipment that you use is like spark free, right? It, it's it's you can't ignite the gas. Right, right. So and basically, what we had to do was we had to have a third party uh, engineering firm go over every nook and cranny of our extractor to make sure that all of our material safety data stuff was in line. You know, nothing could generate a spark, uh, nothing could overpressurize so that a tank would, you know, if there was a, a fire around the, the device, the tank won't explode. Um, it was actually a long, grueling process that people were having to go through. And the first time that I actually went through with my, my uh, peer review, I found out that I had 37 uh, items on my machine that had to be rectified before it would be allowed for legal use. Um, seeing what other people with other extractors have gone through, I consider myself a little lucky um, having 37 where some people have had 150 uh, items to rectify. I mean, that can some of these things have the potential to be things that are not fixable that are outside the uh, scope of what you can do. Um, that's why there was some companies over the last few years that you don't see around anymore um, that were selling extractors, went to go get peer-reviewed and found out that the machine that they invented will never meet code and will never be allowed for use in the medical state. Right, and it's not just yes. about uh, it's not just about uh, explosions and flammability, right? It's also about I know that if you if you machine some of the parts wrong, you could have like uh, metal shaving particles involved, right? Something like of that nature. Well, when you get a when you go with a cheaply built machine, one of the biggest things you have to watch for is what we call meat hooks, and that's <laughs> when yeah they leave part of the material unfinished, and you come into contact with it, and it'll cut you. Um, on top of that, you know, bad welds, leaky welds are some of the things that cheap machines. A lot of these things are made in people's garages. Um, and that being said, they, there's the math that comes into play on making sure that all your clamps, all of your uh, fittings and your connections are actually pressure rated to withstand, you know, uh, a bad day on the extractor. Right. Well, you obviously fixed all those problems because your machine is certified by the uh, American Society of Mechanical Engineers, the American Society for Non-Destructive Testing, the National Fire Protection Association. You've been certified for use in Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Nevada. Am I missing anything there? Uh, you know, we've got uh, New Jersey as well, um, and I believe Alaska since the last time I checked. And right now we're focusing all efforts on California which we're extremely confident that we'll be able to provide California with the machine that their regulators will let them use. Right, and currently, I, I, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but concentrates are not technically allowed in California right now, but they will be if if ALMA passes, if the Adult Use of Marijuana Act passes, right? Yes, that's correct. And also what we're seeing here in California is local municipalities actually reaching out to some of the cannabis companies and offering them permits. A lot of people don't know this, but that's how it happened for me in Colorado. Before they had actually given anybody permits to make hash, they gave me a permit to make hash because they wanted my data when I was building the machine. So six months before anybody else got their license, we got the first approved hashish uh, kitchen in the country. 
wow. down in uh, Colorado Springs, in one of the most conservative cities in Colorado. <laughs> what we're seeing here is a lot of municipalities in Southern California, Northern California, doing the same thing, wanting to issue somebody a permit so that they can see what the process is that they're doing. They can see, you know, what everything entails. That way, when they put out legislation and regulation for it, it'll be a little bit more well-informed. Yeah. I hear Vegas is going to be the next big thing. What's uh, what's going on in Nevada? Well, Nevada is a tricky, tricky mistress, my friend. <laughs> well, the big the big thing about Nevada is there was it should be the shining jewel of American medical cannabis. There was so much money poured into the projects. The project I work on uh, in Nevada, I believe, was like an eight million dollar build out, and then there was no patients. We were drastically under what we thought, uh, you know, we were going to have as far as patient-wise. So now everybody's kind of sitting in a boat with a whole bunch of weed and very few people to sell it to. I think that's why we're seeing so many people uh, starting to sell their shops in Vegas because the money's not coming back as quick as they thought. And uh, everybody's really right now basically just trying to hold out until adult use uh, comes up in November in Vegas and in Nevada. And they think that when that passes... Uh, it'll be the spark that sets it off and then we'll start seeing big things come out of there. Until then, though, uh, everybody's really just feeling tied on the reins. And is that because the lack of patience? I, I, I know enough people in Vegas to know that there's no lack of pot smokers there. Is it because of the restrictions on what it takes to become a patient there? Well, I think it's more there's a lot of people that are scared uh, about their gun rights. Oh. and uh, about, you know, their employers and stuff, and they just don't think going and getting a medical marijuana license is going to be a, a valid enough defense to keep their guns or their jobs. And uh, we saw the same thing in Colorado. People eventually warmed up to it when they realized, you know, that there wasn't, you know, a correlation between the two. Um, but Nevada just is, you know, it's it's years behind. Even in Colorado, when we started having patients and stuff, like on, on the big scale, like when House Bill 1284 passed, you know, we had legal cannabis here technically since 2000. So our we had 10 years to, you know, grow a patient base before a dispensary even opened. They haven't had that in Vegas. They haven't had that in Nevada. Dispensaries just sprung out before the majority of people had their cards, and they're still a little shook by it. Speaking of being uh, years behind, I was pretty shocked to find out that uh, as part of their new recreational regulations, Washington State is no longer going to be allowing concentrates to be sold unless they're infused into an edible product. I mean, what what, what are yeah. they thinking? Isn't that just going to create a huge, dangerous, unregulated black market? Yes. Yes, it will. And I don't know exactly how they're going to handle that because they're going to have the explosion showing back up. They're going to have... You know, what we see in Colorado is about half the sales come from concentrates. Half of that tax revenue is, is going right back into the black market, which their voters clearly spoke out against. So I'm not sure exactly how that's going to how that's going to play out for. Them. I mean, do you think their concern is that they're too potent? Is I mean, what is the justification for that? I, I don't get it. You know, people scare easy these days and potency tests are used just as much for fear-mongering as they are for marketing in this industry. And I can only imagine that between the potency issue and we have a real problem with uh, people in this industry that make a different type of product, 
they don't seem to be on the same team with other people. You know what I mean? So you'll actually have people that are pro pot out talking shit against concentrates for some personal reason or some hang up that they have about them or some bit of misinformation that they heard from somewhere and it just sticks with them. I mean, even after all the education that we've put out, you know, through doing different panels and different, you know, publications and everything coming out about it, I still meet people that think there's actually, you know, butane in their dabs, you know, like yeah. to the point to where it's bad for them. So. Yeah, it's it's crazy. That it's it's come. I mean, being as part of the industry, you know, as you know, I've been. Uh, I did the dab coverage early on in high times when the phenomenon first started to break, and in the beginning, we had to just keep uh, talking about the dangers and stuff. But those dangers are really pretty. They're really not there. I mean, unless you're someone who's, really unless you're someone who's an idiot and you're open blasting in your house or something, there's really not much danger. I mean, I can understand how the process might sound a little scary to a marijuana muggle who's outside the industry. Oh, they're shooting butane through it or whatever. But I mean, yeah. the, that process has actually been used safely by the food industry for decades, has it not? Yeah, and it, it is in use right now. Um, a lot of people don't realize what makes their Rice Krispies puff up. <laughs> you know, they don't realize what makes the Cheetos puffy. You know, these are all just hydrocarbons that are organic, non-toxic, and they evaporate in our atmosphere. You know, they leave. So even in the largest dosages, you're getting way more hydrocarbons lighting a joint with a big lighter than you are dabbing for three months, four months. You know, and it really seems like our attention is focused in, in, in all the wrong directions. Everybody is uh, scared of chemical solvent hash, but don't realize that the things that exist in water hash, you know, are actually far more common and far, in my opinion, far more unhealthy for you than small amounts of residual solvents. Talking about powdery mildew, talking about Mold. anything that went on the plant that a chemical solvent doesn't eradicate, things like E. coli. You have a lot of organic growers out there, organic growers. You know, majority of their uh, additions to the soil and amendments to the soil are, you know, feces. <laughs> That's where E. coli lives. We actually traced a bad batch of water hash for a dispensary in Denver uh, while consulting with Cam Labs back to a contaminated batch of worm castings in their organic garden. Wow. The worm castings had E. coli. They watered and made teas and splashed water up onto the plant. And then took the plant and made water hash with it. Wow. And and this is not people who are, I mean, these are people with really good intentions who are watching what they're doing, thinking they're doing the right thing, right? These are not people who are just, yeah. who are idiots or who, or who aren't being careful. They just didn't know, but that danger was lurking without their knowledge. Well, I mean, these people are so open about their, uh, their compliance and their ability to provide a clean product that they have their own TV show right now. You know, I mean, if you were just, I guess, half-assing it and uh, and didn't really care, you would, you'd never put that on TV. So even under the most, you know, uh, observing eye there is, accidents and mistakes happen. Yeah. Are you worried that uh, moving forward that other states might try to uh, follow a similar path to Washington and, and uh, restrict or exclude concentrates from their uh, regulations as they legalize? 
you know, I try not to imagine what goes on inside of the heads of regulators, <laughs> but I really don't think so because I think they're going to see such a bad backlash with it over the next eight months in Washington that they're going to regret what they've done. Yeah, I would imagine so. You have a lot of people dipping right down into Oregon to buy the same stuff, so your money's going out of state. The people that are going to stick around and produce it are going to produce it in an unregulated environment, which isn't safe. And uh, what's the pros of it? What's the point of getting rid of the concentrates, you know, if you can just go get them? (laughs) You're not going to fix anything. People aren't going to stop doing it. They're just going to become more nefarious uh, in their ability to acquire it. Absolutely. We need to take a short break, but we will be right back with more from Giddy Up on the Blazin' 710 special. Stay tuned. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. All right, and we are back. We are here with GiddyUp, owner of Emotech Labs, uh, makers of the Obidos uh, extraction machine, the top-rated uh, extraction machine on the market. But um, you're more than just a business owner in the cannabis and hash community, uh, GiddyUp. You're a well-known personality. You host a series of videos on your on the Emotech YouTube page, and uh, you chronicle all your adventures at the various events and uh, spoken at and judged at many cannabis events. And this past week, you got to be a celebrity judge for the Chalice Festival. So just tell us a little about what it's been like being a judge for Chalice, and what category were you judging? Well, I was judging the solvent category, and I have to say that this festival uh, stands out from all the other ones that I've done. A, the equipment that we were given to judge, the, the challenge judge kit came with everything, dabbers, torch, your whole shebang. It's a very unified and informed uh, judging system. Uh, the we, you know, one through ten on a, a few different categories, and everybody kind of everybody got to pack it knew what they were doing. So that with the transparency, I I'm really have high hopes for it because there was some very, uh, there's some very good samples in the pack 
And I guess it was like that all the way around. You know, they did testing on everything, and anything that was failed testing was removed from the judge's kit, so I don't have to worry about getting something nasty. Yeah. Uh, it was really, so far, it's very top-notch. Cool, yeah. My, my only experience has obviously been with the Cannabis Cup with High Times. Uh, I've mm-hmm. been not only a judge, but I've actually run the competition uh, for a couple of years. And uh, I know that their judging uh, system is is really good, the uh, electronic judging system, and they do a little testing as well. I have no experience with the Secret Cup. Uh, I've never uh, been a judge for that or attended that. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe someday I will be. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, actually I was offered uh, – Doug did offer me – Doug from Hitman offered uh, me to be a celebrity judge, but I wasn't able to due to uh, scheduling and conflict interest. But um, – I'm hoping that next year I'll be able to uh, take advantage of that because it looks pretty amazing. I don't know. The only other hash competition I've uh, seen or been involved in is the Legends of Hash in Amsterdam. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of that. Have you ever been able to check out Legends of Hash? Actually, no. I haven't because Legends of Hash is strictly for water hash people. Yeah. They don't like us butane guys coming around <laughs> and having higher test results. No, do. it's a different kind of thing. It's <laughs> it's not like a big uh, computerized week-long competition. It's a one-night competition among a very select group of people, and it's, like you said, solvent-free uh, only. And uh, it's uh, I'm not allowed to discuss too much more about it, or I will be uh, excommunicated <laughs> from the from the secret society. Well, but but it I will say this: well, it's, I, it's an amazing I, night, I have, and if you have the opportunity to go, it's worth it. I have spies, and I've had spies in the legends of Hashtag, <laughs> and I like the way that it's ran. You know, I mean, everybody kind of everybody who enters kind of judges, which is cool. What I personally would like to see is more invitationals. I think that a competition where you had to be invited to participate, uh, you know, with say the top 20 hash makers around the country, I think you could get a lot of hype going about that, keep the focus where you want it to, and have an open and transparent uh, judging system really kind of whittle it down. I mean, the competitions now are, there's so many of them, and there's so many people entering. I mean, I believe I had 60-something, uh, like 63 entries in my... Uh, in my judges kit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm all for everybody have a chance, but I think like there should be like a world heavyweight invitational. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to get through that many. I, I, I was uh, able to judge at the last, uh, high times, uh, cannabis cup in, um, was it NorCal? NorCal. Um, and I, I was a hybrid concentrate judge and there was, uh, 54 or 55 and that's you know not even it's been higher than that in the past it's hard to get through that many uh potent delicious concentrates in one week but uh it's it is possible we know that it is possible um hard work and dedication (laughs) yeah it's possible but um, even smoking two ounces of hash in three days. <laughs> <laughs> so let let me ask you also about the categories in in the different uh, judging competitions. Uh, would you like to see the c- categories be more specific, or do you think they're good where they are? Because I know uh, when I was at High Times, there was talk of well, should we make a separate category for butter versus shatter? Should we make one for live resin? You know, do you, would you like to see it more specific, or do you think it's good just breaking it up the way it is? You know, I think breaking it up the way it is, I think when you have water hash, you know, solvent hash, breaking up shatter and butter, it's the same product. It's just a different finish on it. Yeah, keeping them a a little bit more defined, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a dry sieve, a water hash, solvent, indica hybrid sativa, 
There's so many different mm-hmm. consistencies of hash now with the butter, the shatter, the sap, the sugar, the oil, the wax, and of course the live resin. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, how many categories do you want? Um, yeah. Do you feel that some concentrate consistencies are inherently superior to others, or is it really just all a matter of preference? Well, you know, I do. I honestly think it's different terpene profiles, um, too, that, that make the biggest difference in that. Um, I think each one kind of has its up points. Shatter is uh, so much smoother than wax all the time. There's a lot of people that don't like to cough, um, you know, or choke when they're, when they're smoking. They want it to be as smooth and pleasant as it can be, and they'll sacrifice the loud taste, uh, for that. Sugar is great because sugar is loud and terpy, and it's so effervescent when you hit it. Problem is, it seems to turn, and the large amounts of terps in it seem to turn uh, faster than shatter or wax. Wax is great because wax is typically just louder. Uh, that's why I like to do a live resin wax. You know, it's it's more taste. You hit it, and it's loud, and it makes you cough and everything, but at the same time, it's just that big, it's like biting into a big fruit, you know, like you want to taste it all. <laughs> Is that your favorite type of hash, you would say, live resin? Yeah, yeah, definitely by far. I just, I got to think for monoterpenes. When we, uh, when we when we started making live resin, the goal was to get the hash to taste like the grow room. You know, when you walk through a grow room that's going, I'm sure you've been in several hundred, <laughs> you know, it's it's a beautiful smell. And then when you go out and you see the same stuff that was grown in the same spot cured, uh, it's not the same. doesn't mean it's bad. It's just not the same bouquet. So the reason for that is is because the lighter terpenes, like monoterpenes, diterpenes, they're just extremely volatile, and they will leave the oil very quickly and with very little help from heat and agitation. Cure these, and you uh, when you cure your plants, these di diterpenes and monoterpenes are typically all gone by the time it gets cured and is either ready to extract or is ready to smoke. You know, in the uh, DAB report, High Times DAB report that I put together, uh, I guess it was two years ago now, Ry Pritchard down in uh, Denver uh, interviewed you and um, Kind Bill, who were pretty much the inventors and pioneers of live resin. It was such a cool story. Uh, for those for those who didn't get to read the story, can you just give a quick little uh, synopsis of how, how Live Resin came to be? Yeah. Uh, me and Bill had an idea and a, and a way to extract wet plants, but we wanted to make sure that they didn't taste like wet plants. We had tried a couple little ideas and played with decided we were going to wait till we were in the proper environment. Uh, we were getting ready to make stuff for uh, a secret cup entry. And we did our first fully successful live resin run. We knew it was amazing because I had opened up the machine probably 10,000 times before that and never had a smell like that greet me. And <laughs> I remember that night lifting the lid off of it. Everybody's all around and the smell hit me in the face. And I looked up at Bill and I said, we just won the secret cup. And he started <laughs> walking towards me and he got about six feet away from the machine and he could smell it. He could smell the turps. Uh, we did five more runs the same way, making sure we kept all of our variables the same that night. And each run was one right after another, the best run of hash, chemical solvent hash that we had ever made. But our five best runs like, came in one night after years of doing extracts. So we knew we were on to something. And, and it's made by, by blasting fresh frozen 
whole plants yeah. pretty much, right? Yeah. We take, uh, we take, we strip the water leaf off, we knock it off of the bone, take the butt off the stem, freeze it, and then extract it. At first, we were just like, oh, we'll do some fresh frozen BHO. But we had to change so many other variables in the, uh, in the actual extraction process that calling it fresh frozen seemed like naming it after just one variable, and it really didn't feel right. Right. And that's when we came up with the name Live Resin. Because that's what our goal was, was to get the resin out of the plant while technically the plant was still living. Yeah. Uh, I remember when you came up to me at the uh, Cannabis Cup in Denver, uh, I guess it was probably three or four years ago now. Wow, the time just flies by. But um, <laughs> you came up to me, and we, we had just met not too long ago, uh, before then, and uh, you came up to me and you were like, hey, Bobby check this out and <laughs> and showed me what looked like the 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 wettest crystalliest most delicious smelling hash concentrate i had ever seen and you hooked me up with a little of it and you, and you told me this is this is live resin this is this is the next big thing and man i was hooked <laughs> after that man i got to tell you i would just uh, and back then nobody else really had live resin you were like the main guy so i would be like hey giddy what, are you going to be at this event <laughs> you got any more live resin <laughs> because I was just like it was so good and you know I guess I'm one of those uh, terp lovers terp people I mean I want that flavorful you mean, are you a, hit are you, know? you a terp slut Bobby I am a terp slut I, I am a total okay you let your I'm a terp slurper fly. yeah um <laughs> but um yeah so let's let's talk a little about terps there've obviously been uh, a big hot topic uh, over the past year or so in the industry in the community there are some uh, devices out now that are made to capture terps in the extraction process and uh mm -hmm. I, first of all does the obidas have uh, a mechanism for capturing terps or can you hook a mechanism up to it to capture terps Yes, you can hook a mechanism up. You can hook a cold trap up to the obi to uh, capture the terps. Terps are funny, fickle little things. How you get the terps uh, is very important. A lot of people don't realize that terps exist all over the plant. So when I make terps, I actually make terps out of the water leaves and out of the stalks and not the bud material. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about uh, when you're smoking, if you're going to be dabbing and you're looking for that really good uh, terpy enjoyment, um, other than obviously you got to get the right concentrate, but as far as techniques go, uh, I, there's been a lot of debate about the best way to dab for the most flavorful hit. I, I know uh, most of the concentrate connoisseurs I know tend to let the nail cool down for at least 30 seconds, maybe a minute. Some people do uh, before hitting yeah. it, so that you don't burn off the terps. What's your technique typically? Well, you know, I'm a little different. I just don't heat my nail very much. I give myself like a five second blast with the torch when I'm rocking my quartz banger, and oh. then I hit it about four seconds after that. And that keeps the temperature nice and low. I uh, don't waste as much butane heating something up to let it cool down for a minute. And you gotta you gotta waste it to taste it. I'm more <laughs> of a taste guy. Uh, I'd rather waste. 30 small dabs throughout the day and taste every one of them and get high then burn up and hit a hot dab you know i can't do that so for me yeah i do about a five six second torch three second wait and then i hit my dab and so i've saved myself countless fucking hours <laughs> so you don't need to heat the nail up till it's red or almost red then no you don't the only time you really want to do that is if you got gunk or shit on your nail yeah and you don't want to contaminate the dab 
Well, yeah, just heating it up for a few seconds. I, I encourage everybody to play with it. Give yourself a few seconds and do it that. You know, give yourself 10 seconds and do it that. You don't have to light it up to red and then wait for 40 seconds to a minute to enjoy it. Yeah, and what about uh, titanium versus quartz for for the best flavor hit, in your opinion? Well, my flavor, uh, probably going to be quartz for the best flavor. You got to use the Q-tip tech, keep it light, yeah. keep it cleaned out. My workhorse, though, my go-to, you know, Gmail sitting on a tabletop rig. You just sit there and pound away all day, and you don't have to wait or use a torch. Yeah. And I have that on titanium, but I have had quartz bangers, and those are bees knees, my friend. Cool. Well, we're almost out of time. I want to get your take uh, before we go on a couple other little things. Uh, rosin. Rosin's a big thing. Uh, it's been very uh-huh. popular. It's been gaining in popularity, um, which is, of course, made by just kind of pressing nugs in a, in a heat press, sort of like a T-shirt mm-hmm. iron machine or, or whatnot, or a hair a hair straightener, as some people have uh, have done. Obviously, it's a super safe method. Uh, what is your take on rosin as far as how it compares to other forms of hash? You know, I, I I give rosin a lot of hell just because people get very emotional about it. But uh, rosin <laughs> is a great way for people to safely get into the dab culture to start doing dabs. I don't think there's any one type of hash out there, BHO Live Resin included, that negates other hashes. Um, and just for us to be alive in the time when we can choose what type of hash we're going to smoke is great. But uh, rosin's great. Um, you know, it has the same issues that water hash could have which is you got to have good starting material if you have nasty starting material it can be just as unsafe for you as other stuff right and what and what about uh these uh these preloaded uh oil pens what's your what's your feeling about those that are becoming popular well when they're made right they're great um if you're doing it with a polyethyl glycol cut or a vegetable glycerin cut you're an amateur and you should leave this to the pros and what's the best way to do it the best way to do it is to do a straight terp cut with, uh, in my opinion, a nice uh, third-run distiller. You distill everything down to where you're doing strictly just a cannabinoid mix. You're leaving everything else that may be in the oil out. Um, those are extremely potent. They're also activated. So while you're actually breathing in on the vape pen and you're hitting the vape pen, it's coating your tongue in a nice thin coat of oil that's sublingually being introduced to your blood system so you get a little bit more high. Um, cutting it down with terps, terpenes are natural chemicals that exist. So doing a nice terpene mix, preferably cannabis-derived, back into the pen will give it the viscosity it needs to operate right. And, boy, they're really second to none. Uh, I'm not much for using a vape pen to medicate all the time, but if I'm in a pinch or I'm in between levels on zombies on Call of Duty and I can't put the controller <laughs> down, I'll hit the vape pen. <laughs> right on, um, man. Well, uh, what's uh, what's next for you, man? What's What projects do you have on the horizon? What's next for Emotech? Well, currently right now, Emotech is getting ready to open up its branch in California, and I'm going to move out here and hopefully get on the ground floor with the regulators uh, like I have in other states and help them smartly, safely uh, regulate California when the vote passes this year. Cool. So you're moving to SoCal. I'm moving to SoCal, baby. Well, hell yeah, man. I just moved to SoCal, too. We're going to be neighbors. That sounds great. I'll have to bring you a housewarming gift. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. When are you touching ground here? To I'm looking stay? to be out here in the next 90 days on the ground here full time. Cool, man. Well, uh, I wish you luck, but I know you probably don't need it. <laughs> You've been doing pretty well without without it. But um, 
it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show, and uh, I look forward to getting to spend some more time with you out here in Cali. It sounds fun. I can't wait to be blazing with Bobby Black. You know what I'm saying? Right on, man. Well, uh, let's keep in touch and uh, keep on blazing, my friend. All right, brother. Have a great day. Take you, care, everyone. You too, man. Bye. Man, I love that dude. He is one of the coolest guys in the industry, I got to tell you. If you'd like to learn more about Emotech, Chalice Fest, or any of the other stuff we talked about today, you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash blazingwithbb. Please leave us some feedback, give us some shares, all that good social media love. You can also follow me on Twitter at Bobby Black, Facebook and Instagram, Bobby Black 420 Thanks once again to GiddyUp. Thanks to all of you for tuning in and toking up with us again this week, and I hope you'll do so again next week. Until then, this is Bobby Black, as always, saying blaze on, my brothers and sisters. Thank you.